Welcome to Season 3 of Between Two Blue Devils, a podcast about the amazing educators, students, alumni, and citizens of beautiful Talmadge, Ohio. This season is going to be the best season yet as we sit down with people who have incredible stories to share and who are having an impact on our kids, in our community, and in our world. Now be sure to subscribe on whichever podcasting platform you listen to your podcasts on. If you like what you hear, please leave a review and give the podcast a rating. This is how we get the message out about our amazing schools and community. Now, crank up the volume, grab some coffee, kick up your feet, and get ready to be wowed as Season 3 begins. Alan, I would like to take an opportunity to welcome you to Between Two Blue Devils, and I'm super excited to have you as a guest. Uh, Not very many of my episodes have featured teachers from Tez, so I'm excited to be branching into the world of elementary school teachers, and they're all recent um, interviews, the DeFalcos, and then your principal, and now you. So could you do me a favor and tell our audience who you are and what it is that you do? That shouldn't be such a tough question, Uh, but my name is Alan Miller. I teach fourth grade for Talmadge Elementary. Um, Man, feels weird to narrow it down to just um, teacher, uh, because I like to dabble in a lot of things, but uh, I guess I coach for the high school as well, so I satisfy that role or wear that hat. Um, But I think mentoring is a bigger part than the teaching, but we can get into that later. Well, you know, um, you mentioned that you, you're a high school coach. What what sport do you coach? And maybe tell me a little bit about your career first as a coach before we get into who you are as the teacher and mentor. Sure. So I t- coach the Talmadge High School girls um, as an assistant coach. Um, I started at Talmadge four years ago now, which time flies by, but... Um, I had never coached an all-girls team prior to coming to Talmadge, uh, but upon getting hired, within a week, I got a phone call. Hey, I heard you coach. We need an assistant coach. Would you be interested? And I've really grown to enjoy um, coaching this girls team so much uh, that I think it might even be hard to consider going back to a boys <laughs> program um, after being with these girls. Uh, prior to Talmadge, I coached at Lake High School as an assistant coach uh, for, I guess that must have been five years uh, while I was in college, um, and that was a great experience because um, I played at Lake, I went to Lake High School, uh, so I got to learn underneath my head coach that I had played for, but I also got to learn the his coaching style and really the explanation of why he did the things he did. Uh, whereas a player, you're like, oh, I don't understand. But then from the coaching side of it, it's just a different perspective and appreciation. Yeah, um, it's funny you would say that because I, I was just thinking exactly what you were talking about. How did you have any of those epiphanies when, you know, are there, okay, there is a method to my coach's madness. This is why he had us do that. And you didn't understand it as a high school player, but then now it makes perfect sense. Exactly. And when you kind of frame it that way, uh, one of the things that he always preached was the adherence to a routine. And so we did the same warm-up. We did the same first introductory activity every day. And as a player, I, we would roll our eyes because for four years <laughs> that I played for this coach, it was the same warm-up, the same introduction activity. But then once I became on the coaching staff and I kind of looked at it through a different lens, the activity was one in which we practiced the foundational skills of passing, receiving, touches on the soccer ball, and just to watch the kids develop from even the beginning of the season to the end of the season because they did that same routine. Mm -hmm. uh, You could really see an improvement, Um, and it wasn't trying to piece together the improvement. You could, like, you could see it because it was the same activity. Um, sure, there was a lot of kids rolling their eyes going, oh, coach, why do we have to do this? Um, however, I will say that I appreciated it more seeing it from the coaching side. And as I've learned as a coach, 
Um, you are supposed to repeat things and give the players routines. Now, of course, I've made my own adjustments and maybe I'll work in that drill here and there. Mm -hmm. I think every day might be a little too much, but um, you never shy away from those same skills. Mm -hmm. um, so it was very interesting to, to see that. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's my stage in life, uh, mm -hmm. but routine has become a very common topic in, in my life. Uh, just the other day, I was talking to my psychology students about my morning routine, you know, I, I tell them all the time I have my win the AM routine and if I don't do it, mm -hmm. then I don't have the proper mindset for the rest of the day. And I do find myself just discombobulated, right? You're just out of whack. And do you, do you see the importance of that in regards to practice um, and, and as well as game? I mean, do you have the same routine before a game? Yeah, and I think that's extremely important. Um, many players deal with the anxieties and the nerves before games. So if you can alleviate that by giving them known factors um, that they don't have to worry about, uh, I think that helps to ease those things. So um, rather than trying to explain a new game or a new activity, if you give them the same set routine, which we practice during the preseason leading up to our first game, mm -hmm. We'll spend a practice or two saying we're going to go through our pregame warm-up and kind of go through step by step. Um, and in doing so, that's one less thing to worry about. They know how much energy and effort to give in each of those activities to really get themselves um, to the proper um, exertion level. Um, I always laugh um, in my grad class um, on coaching. Um, they talked about. Um, the getting your players to the proper like arousal state. Um, and so if you can really get them to that peak performance place before the games, um, you're going to get a best performance out of them. Um, and so that was really intriguing. And they talked about over arousal then, which would be that you get them too hyped up or too ready to go that they can't calm down and they play with nerves, which you might often see in a big game or a tournament game. Um, so yes, I'd say routines are one of the best things that we can offer. Um, and some of it even comes down to the girls thinking it or considering it tradition. You know, um, they like to hang up their jerseys on the fence pre-game. They like to line up their bags a certain way. You know, they, they enjoy the routine of togetherness or cohesiveness that kind of comes through those things. So, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Do you dabble a lot in psychology? Um, I, my very first class for the grad program was sports psychology, and it was one of the more intriguing college classes I've ever taken. Um, I thought that was, it was really cool. Yeah, it, it really is amazing. So do the girls ever ask, because I know a couple of your players quite sure. well, and I know that they're very inquisitive. Yes, you know, are. in the classroom, they're always like, well, why? Why do I got to do this? Why do I got to know that? Have any of them ever asked you a, you know, coach or coaches, mm -hmm. why this routine? Or why do we got to start with this particular skill? Or why do you keep using this term, you know, exertion, right. exertion right. level? I mean, do they right. ever ask you about that? Um, well, some, some of these new fancy vocabulary words <laughs> are from my graduate class. So I haven't had a chance just yet to implement them. But... Uh, the why that question I love it um, so the very first thing we had um, a coach a couple years ago on our staff that he would not allow us to leave the bus area unless we were in two straight lines walking out there as a team and I remember the juniors and seniors especially that group of girls just rolling their eyes like come on coach this is the silliest thing however you know in the years following that um, like it's funny watching the captains like all right let's get in line and like they walk in together um, and they like chat with each other as they're walking in and it's it just kind of sets a tone and it's just fascinating so when they ask why we're like well structure is good mm -hmm. you know if we walk in there like a blob of players it looks disorganized and we want, I'm not saying it inspires fear being in two lines. <laughs> However, um, you know, showing that you're together and looking professional. Um, and I talk to the girls a lot about 
um, upholding that professionalism, even though we're amateur athletes, mm -hmm. uh, because they represent something bigger than just their individual. Um, however, that that was the biggest why, which sounds like such a silly thing, but it kind of sets the tone, kind of like your morning routine sets yeah. your sets your tone for you. Uh, that when they don't do that, you know, they're a little bit more scattered. Yeah. I love everything about what you just said. I absolutely love Good. it. And you know what else I love is that, and I'm sure your students pick up on this, but you take a master class, a master's class, and then you're taking what you're learning, you're tying it into your vocabulary. It's instant application, demonstrating to your players and to your students, you know, this pursuit of being a lifelong learner. I, I absolutely love it. I can tell you're very passionate about coaching. When yeah. did you, uh, well, let me ask yeah. you this. What inspired you to become a coach? Hmm. And um, how long, I mean, you mentioned you coached at Lake. Did you do anything before that or had you just played or, you know? Sure. Um, so I started playing when I was four. Um, I was terrible. I was so bad. I would, I was bad all the way up until high school probably, um, now that I think back to it as a player. Uh, but I loved playing. Um, so it didn't matter that um, I wasn't fast and I wasn't real skilled, uh, but I just, I really loved being out there and a part of it. Um, of course, you know, I hit my growth spurt and some things made more sense yeah. at that point and <laughs> I was able to um, kind of progress. Um, I'll never say I was good or even great. Um, however, um, that might be being a little bit modest at the same time. <laughs> so, um, and ultimately I got to play in college for a season, which was a great experience okay. as well. So. Um, but in terms of coaching, um, I've got a sister who is seven years younger than me. Um, so when she started playing soccer when she was six, seven years old, um, I asked if I could be a volunteer coach, yeah. like just be the assistant. You know, I was just 13, 14 years old. And um, that the guy that ran those training sessions, um, he just the kids were laughing and they were having such a good time. Yeah. And like he involved me and I really appreciated that. I wasn't just, you know, an older brother. He was like, oh, can you get involved? Can you play with them? Can you demonstrate this? Um, and I thought that was such a, a unique experience. Um, and that was with the Lake Youth Soccer Program. Um, and then I stayed connected from that point. Um, I started refereeing. That was my first job when I was, you know, 14, 15. Um, watching spy girls kick a ball in a circle, um, you know, didn't make very much money, but I made enough to save up for an iPod Touch because that was a <laughs> cool new thing. Yep. You know, that's why I wanted a job. Um, and so from there, I ended up running the the refereeing. Um, so at 15, 16 years old, I had some 12-year-olds working underneath me yeah. as the, the referees, and I was kind of orchestrating and training them. Um, and then ultimately it kind of just things fell in place while I was coaching at Lake um, I made further connections within that club and I ended up running their youth program um, which was for under 10 year olds so there was U6, U8, and U10 uh, and that was a great experience mm -hmm. um, they merged in with um, Canton Akron Soccer Club uh, which most recently just merged in with a few other large clubs around uh, that seems to be the new common Thing that's happening uh, which it makes sense um, I totally understand why that's happening um, but from that running youth Lake Youth Soccer when they merged in I then ran all Canton youth, Akron Soccer Club's youth program um, so that was in the North Canton Jackson and Lake areas um, then I got I was able to teach here yeah. um, and so when I got my teaching job here um, I stepped down from that role um, yeah. Canton Akron Soccer Club um, Steve Davis, our head girls coach right now, um, he also happens to run Evolution, mm -hmm. uh, who also just merged in with a bunch of clubs. Okay. Um, so I started coaching with him. Well, first he invited me to coach for the high school team with him. Um, then I take it as a great compliment that from that he asked me to come coach for his club as well. Oh, man. And all well, throughout the meantime, I did private training here or there over the summers. Uh, which has led to me formally opening a business during COVID because okay. uh, I had some extra time, you know, get a website going. And, um, you know, I guess the government, government probably likes that I 
set up an actual business instead of just doing it on the side. Um, but that's been a great experience. So we're about a year in um, on official business um, as well. And so the, the business, you're, is it individual training or is it a, a, the business that you're running? Uh, so the business is called Evo Goalkeeping. Um, and it is primarily individual and small group goalkeeper training for soccer. Um, that's what I did while I was a soccer player. Okay. Um, I try not to do it anymore because uh, diving on the ground is, does not sound like that much fun. You and quickly I, age out of that. But. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I'd much rather score goals now um, <laughs> if that's even possible. Um, so I do small group and individual training for that. Um, and then as of right now, I just joined in with the Cuyahoga Falls Youth Soccer. Um, and I'm kind of, I think my title there is considered a coaching director, uh, but I'm really kind of facilitating facilitating their youth program. Okay. So what I did at, at Lake Youth Soccer yeah. um, to kind of help out with that community program as well. Because those kids are there because they just simply love to play. Yeah. Um, whereas sometimes within the club setting, it's a little more serious. Uh, which I there's certainly a time and a place. Sure. And I love that sure. level of competition. Yeah. But I feel like sometimes the joy gets taken out of it. Um, whereas in this youth program, you know, I was just out there last night in the freezing cold with forty, you know, six year olds that are just laughing and falling down and chase at, chasing after the ball. The parents are <laughs> laughing, you know, and when a kid scores a goal everybody celebrates yeah. like this little girl she was so proud of herself but she stole the ball and she came back and kicked it right in her own goal <laughs> right in her own goal but it didn't matter we nope. we cheered as if she just won the world cup with that goal yeah. because to her that's that's a proud moment yeah. you know and sometimes i feel like the more serious you get and as you get older of course she gets more serious but um i feel like that's the purest form um, of soccer, and I yeah. think that's really, really huge. Yeah, yeah, it's um, you're. I'm having flashbacks of when I coached my son and daughter and, mm -hmm. at Talmadge United. Sure, you know, and we're out there, and as soon as the blimp shows up, everybody stops, and we're looking at the blimp. Right. You might as well take a halftime. That's at that yeah, point. yeah, yeah. A little herd mentality, running around the ball, right. and same thing. You know, somebody scores, everyone's cheering, and, mm -hmm. and you're celebrating. It's one of the things. You know, as, as a fellow coach, I think about. Um, youth track, youth cross country, sure. and youth soccer, and how everybody did. Mm -hmm. Everybody cheered on the success uh, of their kids, and there wasn't an emphasis on on specialization or an emphasis on how many goals you scored mm -hmm. or how fast your time was. It was right. just about the community, and mm -hmm. I, I think about it often. How can I bring that same mentality you know you want to honor those who are very serious about their sport but at the same time infuse it with the joy and the mm -hmm. love and the passion that it should bring exactly you know exactly. and it and it really does uh, it seems to me that you and and coach uh, coach davis i know coach um a little bit i will tell you that when i was coaching youth soccer mm -hmm. and my kids were dabbling in the world of of uh, travel soccer mm -hmm. I went to a couple of his clinics okay, that sure. he ran, and I was always so impressed. So when we got, were blessed to have him as our coach, I thought, mm -hmm. man, we just won the lottery, right? You know, and I know what kind of a quality coach he is. It's neat to hear that you guys are doing that. I know the girls speak very highly of all their coaches, and they enjoy it. Well, they enjoy it, and and that's what high school sports is about. You know, um, I feel like our team has a very realistic perspective of, of who we are as a program and what our desired outcomes are. Um, obviously, we want to win. Sure. But it's not a win-at-all-costs thing. You know, we, we started doing some of our off-season workouts now. Just not because, obviously, it'll help. It's beneficial. But not because that's going to help us win a game in October, mm -hmm. the girls are there because they enjoy each other's company sure. and they enjoy the, the process of, of working. Mm -hmm. And so I think that I can speak for myself as well as the other coaches that we really put an emphasis on the culture of the team, 
um, especially these past few years. Um, I felt like the culture of the team has really stepped in the right direction. Um, and that just the desire to be there every day, you know, that's during the season, that's like the highlight of my day. I love teaching, don't get me wrong, but I know no matter how that day has gone at school, when I go to soccer training, where that's always been my release, right? That's always been my get away from everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, I get to share that with a group of girls that I consider family because we spend so much time together. I've got a sister that's seven years younger than me. She's two or three years older than a lot of these girls. So it, it really seems like a, like a really family-based or community-based program. Um, so I'm sure there's some days they don't speak so highly of me and other coaches. However, um, I'm happy to hear that they speak highly of us because we, I certainly do uh, speak highly of them. I brag to everybody about my high school girls. Wow. So, Well, hearing your passion and your affinity for the team and for the coaches and the culture of the program, I mean, as, as a community member and a fellow educator, I mean, it makes me really happy and excited yeah. because... I love the fact that coaches and the sports that they are passionate about can be used in in positive manners to mold good people. Mm -hmm. You know, and you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago when we first started, you know, when I asked you to kind of describe who you were, tell us a little bit about who you were, uh, you kind of landed on a word in your introduction that I I loved. Mm -hmm. You said you like to consider yourself, you think of yourself as a mentor. Mm -hmm. What, what, uh, what prompted you to say that? What, what's the, uh, what's Ooh. behind that? It's a tough question. Um, hmm. So I think, in my opinion, that teaching is more about that mentor role. I know we have so many hats to wear and things to juggle But when it boils down to it, I think there's a few different types of teachers. I think there's some teachers that really stress the academic, here's what they need before they move on to fifth grade, for example, um, academically. Um, I care about that, I promise. It's just not my biggest focus. Um, I wanna make sure that my kids are okay before they can learn things. And so that's why I tend to lean towards the mentorship role. This is hard to to talk about, like because sometimes this is one of those things I feel kind of, um, I don't know what the word is, apprehensive talking about, I guess, Hmm. um, is I just, I love building those connections with the kids. Um, When in my interview here at Talmadge, um, they asked me why Talmadge. And I said, I only applied at three or four schools because I thought that those were good matches for my personality, what I can offer. And so far that has been incredibly accurate. When I started at the middle school, um, I, I loved every second of it. And some people were like, how in the world could you <laughs> enjoy teaching middle school? But I just gravitated towards the, the students that needed a little extra. Hmm. Um, when I unfortunately had to look for a different job during the, the layoff or because of the levy and whatnot, um, Mr. Mannion wrote a beautiful recommendation letter in which he stated that I had a tendency to gravitate towards the disenfranchised student. I was like, okay, I kind of understand that because it was a lot of the times the kids weren't doing well academically, but they needed a place where they could come and talk Mm -hmm. or just be themselves for a moment uh, throughout the day. And that meant more to me than doing well on a test. Wow. Um, and so, like, that was really moving to read that, that someone else picked up on it. Because that's sure. how I felt. Sure. But 
um, to know that that's how it was interpreted um, is very, I don't know, makes you feel very good. And it should, and it absolutely should. Let me ask you, where does that quality come from? Well, hard-hitting questions now. Yeah, um, I didn't prep you for any of this, I did know, I? It's all right. <laughs> um, so my mom, um, I love her to death, obviously. Um, she ran a daycare out of our home. Okay. Um, from the time I was probably three or four up until I was, I don't know, maybe 20. So within that, I got to see her accept, you know, anywhere between 10 and 15 kids as her own, hmm. you know, during that time, because it wasn't to her necessarily a job to take care of these kids. It sure. was because it was the same reoccurring families and kids, she really built those relationships. So in short, I'd say that relationship building and quality um, I get from my mom, uh, which is funny now. She works um, in social work now, licensing foster homes. Really? Um, and wow. so we've got two foster children staying with us right now um, as well, and we're getting ready to adopt uh, one of the them um, in a week. Wow. So I And so I guess that level of acceptance and wanting to offer um, just compassion, I guess some would even say love to other people, is really big. And so if I can offer that to my students, they're not just my students at that point. You know, I kind of accept them in almost as family. Sure. So Well, I, you know what? That connects with me. Um, more than you'll realize because I, I'm, the, I'm the type of person and so many of the teachers that have uh, and educators I've been blessed to interview you know we refer to them as our kids not our students right. they're our kids mm -hmm. and, and I really do I, I tell them all the time I love you but I love my kids just a little bit more you know my two right. kids and I'm like right. they're right. just slightly above you but the rest right. of you man I love yeah. with all my heart and I'm not scared to tell them that I love them because right. they need to know Right. that we love them and we have high expectations for them mm -hmm. and and we we see the good uh, when you when you think back so you mentioned your mom your mom sounds absolutely amazing she is. and uh yeah i mean i'm thinking can i just add can I ask for clarification you mentioned that who you're getting ready to adopt a child in about oh, a week not me i apologize my, yeah. my mom and my dad your mom and your dad okay Ooh, so so we're awfully spread out so i'm the oldest um, I've got a sister who will be turning 21 here soon. I've got another biological brother that is um, 12. Uh, we've got a high school aged female staying with us right now. And then we've got an eight year old uh, boy staying with us. And he is the one that we're in the process of adopting. Okay, uh, so your parents mm -hmm. have a 12 year old that, yes. and so by the time you're 12, you're almost in the middle school, and you're almost close to the coveted empty nest. To sit and <laughs> yeah, then... They said no. They said <laughs> no. We, we want to pull in um, another, another child. And it's funny how it all started because my, my mom does work in social work. She worked in social work for, I think this is her fourth year, um, at different levels and positions. Um, and she'd been really talking with uh, about my dad or talking with my dad about it. Um, and so, you know, three, four years go by and they're, they're talking, they're like, well, if we can find a boy that's about my brother's age, um, that would be the ideal situation. Um, and in typical fashion, uh, for my family, uh, it wasn't the ideal circumstances, but um, this little boy he needed a place to stay and so it was just supposed to be for a couple weeks um, and so we welcomed him into our home and he really connected uh, with my brother um, my biological brother um, and the rest of the family and so unfortunately his situation changed and he needed to uh, a full-time foster home and so, as a family, we decided that this was the best option um, because we could not 
fathom that in our hearts to put him in any other situation. Wow. It was like, we, we feel like this is a good home. It's a good match. You know, let's go for it. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd be a liar if I said it was all easy. Mm. You know, there's, there's a lot of um, trauma and things to unpack. Um, but with patience and, you know, I think our family structure, I think it's going to work out really well. Like so far that we are adopting him next week. So um, I, I'm so excited. Um, and I refer to him as my brother all the time. And so that's why I feel like I need to specify my biological brother versus <laughs> him uh, because I'm not going to use their names on, on the podcast. Sure. But um, it's just so funny. And who knows, I think this high school girl might end up a part of our family long-term too, just because she seems to mesh in well. Um, she's sharing a room with my sister right now at home. So I think things are going in the right direction with there as well. I'm thinking that maybe your parents and, and you should start your own podcast. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know about that. But, <laughs> let, me, let me tell you, I am just sitting here just in awe of your heart, your compassion, your empathy, well, and thinking about your parents. I mean, um, it would be difficult. I mean, my, our listeners know I, I get kind of emotional about things, so I'm going to try to get this out without being emotional. But the amount of the, the sacrifice that they're making and living by conviction, mm -hmm. uh, it it is inspiring. To it really is, and please pass that on. I'm sure your parents will listen to this, and when your mom and dad listen to this, I want to thank them uh, for this act of service and love. I mean, they're changing a life. It sounds like they've been changing yeah. lives all of your life, and it's well, it's just awesome. I know, and I I get to call them my parents, which is wow, crazy. Yeah. yeah. It, you know, my parents are very similar in that they are engaged in a profession where they invest on a daily basis into the lives of children. And uh, it's neat when we look back and we get to think about the legacy that they are leaving for us uh, and the influence that they've had in our life. Um, and, you know, they've obviously your parents have inspired you to continue to share with, with children and to change lives. What What is your reason for getting into education? Oh, well, it was a wild ride. Um, I am the stereotypical college student that, <laughs> um, you know, I took high school classes to become an athletic trainer, get a leg up in the game. I got to college and very first class, they were like, well, you need 300 more hours of observation and you can't coach. And I was like, oh, well, I guess I can't be an athletic trainer then, can I? <laughs> Um, and so at that point I changed, I, I tried business for a little bit and, um, although I found it very interesting, the two or three classes I took, um, it didn't spark anything. It was just like, well, there's two classes I, I took. Mm -hmm. Um, I was undecided for a little bit. I dabbled in a few things and I took an intro to education class and I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing to say, but it didn't feel like work. You know, it just like, oh, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know, this this makes sense. It's common sense, you know, and it, I think it kind of goes into or played into things I already believed or I already felt. So I think, you know, when you're supposed to do something, when those pieces fall in line, it's kind of like water. You follow it, you know, rather than trying to fight against it for so long. Mm -hmm. So um, when I... During my high school career um, and a little bit into college, I was in a part of a youth group and my youth pastors had told me, oh, you should really look into becoming a youth pastor. Like, well, I didn't, I don't think I ever told them this part, but I'm not exceptionally religious. <laughs> However, <laughs> you know, I loved the community part of that youth group yeah. and being there with my friends and really sure. connecting. Um, and like, to me, that was my safe place to go and feel part of something mm -hmm. and feel supported. So um, I kind of always knew that that in the back of my brain was, well, education could be a thing. It could work. Um, and then someday it just, it just clicked. I was like, wait, coach, teacher, coach, teacher, let's do it. And so I, I went in um, to the College of Education at Baldwin Wallace and it was, the whole process just didn't feel 
all that difficult mm -hmm. just because it was something I enjoyed doing. Yeah. Um, and so it, it kind of, it all worked. And you know, when, like I said, going against the flow of the water, I took a break after college uh, because I felt intimidated. I should put air quotes around that in the podcast, air quotes, <laughs> um, you know, of all the paperwork and all the extras and all the things that go into teaching. Yeah. So I took a break for a year and I pursued some other things, but I just didn't feel like I was using anything, like any of my skills or anything that I had to offer. It was just very unfulfilling. Mm -hmm. um, and so I dabbled in su substitute teaching um, and kudos to anybody that can be a substitute teacher because I did it like eight times and like I think that's it. I'm just I'm gonna I'm gonna go get a teaching job. I'm gonna commit where these are my kids rather than going into someone else's family in their classroom and trying to you know be the, a substitute teacher. Yep. Oh, yep. So I I greatly appreciate substitute teachers. Uh, throw that in there. Yeah. But, absolutely. Um, yeah, and then, like I said, I was able to get a job here at Talmadge, and I feel um, very lucky to be a part of it. And like, I don't say that because I'm on a Talmadge-based podcast. Um, it's just I feel like it's a good community to be within mm -hmm. um, as far as outside the school, but within kind of the middle school where I started versus the elementary school, I think that the teacher's hearts are in the right place. Mm -hmm. And I was afraid that that might not be the case um, anywhere I would go. Um, but I think when you're in a community of teachers in a community of students like this, I think you can really be successful, mutually successful. Absolutely. And I think that's the big part. There's a reason why such a large percentage of our educators in this district have been here for 20 plus years, mm -hmm. have graduated, they've grown up in this community. Right. Um, you know, people want to come to Talmadge. You know, I've had conversations even this past week where the number of times people outside of, outside of our district have mentioned, oh, we know that you have incredible schools and we know that your teachers are amazing. We know that your administrators are our first class. We know that the direction uh, that the superintendent and his staff and their vision is is just, it's so progressive and it's so up and coming. And, and so people really do recognize how beautiful it is here. Now, you mentioned that you first were hired at the middle school. Yeah. What did you teach at the middle school? Um, so I took the position left behind by Mr. Christopher okay. uh, as the third STEM teacher. Okay. Uh, so I taught sixth, seventh, and eighth graders um, for, as a special. Um, and what an experience. I, I loved teaching that class. Um, it was all project-based. Um, where I got to create my own curriculum. Hmm. If I found something that looked cool, like a cool, fun project, they're like, go for it. So I was able to implement that. And it's really interesting and exciting to see the students use their brains in a slightly different way. Because I don't know that I taught them anything that had to be memorized. I don't mm -hmm. think I taught them anything really all that great to be honest, but I, I helped them use tools that they already had to solve problems. And I think that's something that every student or every person will at some point need to use. Sure. Um, so uh, I thought that was, that was great. And I worked with Rich Day and Chad Nash and just excellent role models to, to learn from directly um, and getting to work with them on a planning time to organize and figure out uh, what to teach was was amazing. Hmm. Um, and something that I appreciate so much that I didn't think I would like is being able to repeat what you're teaching. Because <laughs> I would I would teach, you know, eighth grade a, something, a topic, and then I'd have another group of eighth graders right after that. And every single time, the second lesson is better. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'd do the same for seventh grade and sixth grade. Yeah. And I think as a first teaching job, that was invaluable. Mm -hmm. uh, be, being able to see what worked, what didn't work, um, you know, and making those quick adjustments um, is something that uh, I, I value. Yeah, I, I love hearing about the reflection mm -hmm. and, and then tweaking. I, you know, I teach two classes back to back and it, they are always different. Mm -hmm. First block is, you know, they're almost two different preps anymore, sure. you know, because of the time and the, the makeup of the class. But 
Absolutely. The number of times I've looked back and thought, okay, I need to fix this. And mm-hmm. I've just gotten a little bit better for second block. Now you now teach fourth grade mm-hmm. and tell me what it's like. Uh, what is your day like as a fourth grade teacher? Oh man. Um, there's so many variables. Uh, where do you start? <laughs> um, so we start off each day um, with planning time uh, that's built into our contract, which is amazing. So I might arrive around eight o'clock. Uh, it's been earlier recently, but the kids don't arrive until eight forty-five. So that forty-five minutes uh, has been amazing hmm. to get to get things prepped for the day uh, to kind of you know set yourself up for success mm-hmm. uh, because if you try to wing it they know yeah they and do they being the kids they know yep. <laughs> so um, if you can if you can prepare before they arrive um, you're, you're setting yourself up for a better day mm-hmm. uh, similar to your morning routine yeah um, but I also love that during that time the other fourth grade teachers also have that planning time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, as a fourth grade staff, I think do a great job of aligning what we're teaching. Um, and we're kind of all working together um, to make sure that we're offering the best to our kids. Mm-hmm. And I think um, in terms of that reflection piece, that's very important. Um, so we have got a small portion of time in the morning. Um, we had been doing language arts um, in the morning. That's when we have special and the kids usually about 10 minutes before special, they get so excited, you know, they start vibrating in their seats a little bit, you know, um, getting ready to move, getting ready to go. Um, right after that, they come back uh, before they head off to lunch. And again, about five, 10 minutes before lunch, they start vibrating in the yep, seats, yep. And ready to go. And I'm right there with them. I mean, I'm doing the same thing. Um, <laughs> but then when we come back, you know, we would do math. I love doing read aloud, which is funny because I hated that. My first year teaching fourth grade, I'm like, wait, I have to read in front of the class? <laughs> like, I don't want to do that. Um, because I've always been kind of a self-conscious reader. Hmm. Like, I've always, in my opinion, been a good reader in my head. Yeah. But then having to put it out uh, on display for others, um, that was a, a learning curve for sure. Um, we actually just finished a book called The Handbook, uh, which was hmm. very interesting. It was written from the perspective of kids. Um, and then there was a parenting handbook that was distributed to all the parents. And so all of the frequent things that might occur in a day-to-day, for example, uh, you said you've got kids. So how many times you've been at the dinner table and they're like, I don't wanna eat this. So in the handbook, it would say, if the child says, I don't wanna eat this, here are your responses. And so the premise of the book is that um, three kids find out that their parents all have this handbook. <laughs> and so they find a copy of the handbook and then they start using that against the parents. Interesting. So, yeah. for example, that one where they're not eating at the table, um, the frequent response from the parents would be, well, they're starving kids. In And then in the book it had insert country they'll never go to here <laughs> and so the kids in their response to throw off their parents would be like mom i know they're starving kids in india that would rather eat this food but i just don't really like it and Get so then the parents That's would funny it would like short circuit their brain because it's a book you know <laughs> and so the kids loved this book because um they just thought it was hysterical because i was i would stop every time the parents would have one of these canned responses and like how many of you have your parents said this to you and nearly all the class every time raise their hand and I'm like this is amazing um, that's so funny I remember my parents saying the same thing <laughs> um, sorry tangent hey so after that we do math <laughs> we go to recess uh, then we finish off with social studies or science kind of rotating okay but, and you're teaching all those classes no okay oh, so no. you have a team that you rotate with yeah. then all right so within my oh good goodness no so uh, my co-teacher miss Poth, uh she teaches math um and i teach language arts um and then she takes the lead on science um and then we kind of both work together on social studies okay so um i think it's an unfair split i think she does way more work than i do <laughs> but who am I to complain if she wants to do the work? 
but um, <laughs> but I do reading and I do writing and the evaluations yeah. that go with those things. Yeah. Too. But um, I love I love the team teacher setup yeah. in regards to when I'm teaching, she can kind of go around and nurture those connections. She can work with the kids. You know? Yeah. Maybe give them a quick redirection if they're off task. Sure. And then while she's teaching, I can do the same thing. Yeah. Now, sometimes I think I'm the distraction, um, and that's fine. But, you know, I think it's all in the name of, like, the connection building sure. with the students. You know, yeah. showing that we're real people. I think that's something Miss Both and I do a very good job at. Okay. Is our students know that we're, we're people. Yeah. You know, we're teachers, but we're also people. Sure. Um, and so we laugh at our mistakes. And, sure. And, you know, we trip over our words. We, we laugh about it. You know, we're... We're very open with our kids in that way. Yeah, and I think that's important. Absolutely, I think it's important. You know, modeling vulnerability, and mm-hmm. and making sure that the kids understand that that it's okay to admit a mistake. Mm-hmm. It's okay to stumble and then rebound. Right. It's okay to reflect and then grow. Uh, those are all traits that our kids need to learn mm-hmm. to become the best versions of themselves. How many kids do you have in your class? Uh, well, obviously, it varies day to day, depending on who's absent and whatnot. Um, however, we have 54 on our roster. Okay. Um, so I think if we're doing the math, I think I've got 26 technically in my homeroom, um, and then Miss Post has 28. However, we're in the same room, same classes. We both share the grading and things like that. So, so when you say you're in the same room, so it's it's time for language arts. Mm-hmm. The two of you are in the room, but there's like that many kids in the room at the same time? Yes. Um, so our room is set up as kind of two rooms. Uh, we have a, a sliding divider wall that we could set up, and we do sometimes. Um, like when we're running small group stations, uh, which is kind of our go-to to make sure we're reaching each of our students. Um, but yeah, we have two uh, clever touch boards or smart boards um, so the information is displayed on both sides and sure. kind of kind of walk back and forth between the two while we're presenting our information. Yeah. Um, we really like to present um, present a presentation, uh, you know, to the class for the first 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. If you go any longer than that, you know, people start looking around the room. Yeah. And the flies sure. that are flying, yeah. you know. Um, but then we split up into those small groups. Um, and with two of us in there, those small groups might only have 10 kids in it. Mm-hmm. And so while those, we're meeting with our small groups, the remaining students um, have been doing a very nice job of staying on task with yeah. their other assignment or alternative assignment while we are working groups. So it's a lot of teamwork. Yeah, um, for real. You can't, you can't take a break. As yeah. tr- in terms of like you don't, that sounds incorrect. You can take a break, but it's at the expense of your co-teacher. So um, as a friend, as a professional, and um, as a co-teacher, I feel like we both really emphasize helping out the other person. A lot of accountability there, for sure. And I think that's an excellent thing. What is the most difficult aspect of being a teacher for you? Hmm. Well... I guess we could say personally, I'll go with that first, um, in terms of it, it breaks my heart what some of the students have to deal with um, in, when they're not here at school, or even when they are here at school. Mm-hmm. So kind of emotionally, I would say that's the hardest part. Sure. Um, because we do grow together and nurture that relationship. Um, but in, in extenuating circumstances, I've got a student that is moving out of the state on Friday, and I, I just would, they just let me know last week. I'm torn apart about it. You know, um, it's a kid that I've really felt I've made a connection with. He reminds me of my little brother that's twelve. Uh, so, um, and that and that kind of tears me apart a little bit. So I would say the emotional part is the most rewarding, but also the most challenging um, aspect in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, there's inconveniences, mm-hmm. you know, but I think any job has sure. those inconveniences. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. 
it doesn't surprise me that that was your answer. Sure. Um, sure. I had a I had a sneaky suspicion we drift towards that, you mm -hmm. know, because that is the difficult aspect, you know, mm -hmm. uh, of you know as a teacher as well. And you kind of mentioned, you know, I was going to ask you what's the most rewarding part, but you kind of yeah. it's the relationships. Oh yeah, I wholeheartedly believe that it's the relationships, whether it's with the students or um, with you know your your fellow teachers. Mm -hmm. I think that's so important. Um, I think last year, since I taught online last year, I value those relationships more. Mm -hmm. um, I knew I valued them prior to college online. Um, however, you know, sitting in your office or in your bedroom, like was the case for me anyway, um, seeing a kid on a screen, you know, two inch by two inch box for an entire year and only getting to see them during the state testing windows um, and not seeing my my fellow teachers of the mm -hmm. fourth grade that are my friends um, that was very challenging wow. so I think that coming back this year that's one of the things that I so greatly appreciate and um, walking down to get my mail or walking down to get my students from the art room because we have to walk through the cafeteria uh, well, I do. My students walk around, but uh, I shortcut, you know, because I'm always running late. Um, but seeing some of my Talmadge online kids in person mm -hmm. that will come up to me and talk to me uh, during that during that quick time, uh, to me, that's one of the most rewarding things. Absolutely. Um, I've got a couple kids. They're so funny. They come up every day, and they're like, "Mr. Miller, what did you eat for dinner last night?" And it's like. Who cares about that stuff you know but like that's just it's the coolest thing to me because they do yeah you know and I'll happily share what I had for dinner right and they tell me what they had for dinner right and like to me it's a silly thing but it's those moments or it's the moments where one of your quieter kids draws you a picture or something and sets it on your desk when mm -hmm. you're out of the room or you know even when it's not a quiet student but you know, you got kids that want to come up and give me a hug every day. And I'm like, some days you're like, oh, great, a hug. Some days you're like, I saw you coughing over there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's an uh, air hug from over here. But, um, you know, I think that's just, that's got to be the most rewarding yeah. part of it. It's just the little moments. Um, or I guess we can speak academically. You know, there's nothing better than kids performing well on some sort of assessment, whether that's, you know, a little homework assignment sure. or a test because you're like, maybe I am good at this teaching. Thing. Yeah. Um, and I guess maybe that's where I try to differentiate that line between teacher and mentor. Sure. Um, I think I could teach anything. You know, I can provide that information and provide the opportunities, but I think that mentoring uh, good people, and that kind of goes along with our mission at Talmadge. Sure. Know, is a well rounded. Student, and I yeah. think that's um, a strong suit. Yeah, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? And yes. and it's it's those relationships, you know. And as you're talking, and I'm so excited for you because you're at the beginning of your career. You know, you're young in the game, and already you're starting to experience. I call them bonus checks, the bonus checks of the sure. profession, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we I have this conversation. My daughter is an aspiring teacher. This is redundant. I probably short shared this on the past three podcasts, <laughs> sure. but nevertheless, mm -hmm. in our conversation, you know, she's becoming she's studying to become a middle a teacher of middle childhood education. Okay. And we talk about, okay, yeah, there's a disparity maybe in the amount that we get paid versus mm -hmm. other professionals. Sure. But every day there's a bonus check that we mm -hmm. receive. Today, I received a bonus check during my lunch mm -hmm. in which I had six incredible students want to sit around mm -hmm. and spend their lunch having a conversation with me. Right. You know, I gave up my lunch, mm -hmm. but I didn't really give it up. I It was a right. gain, right? Exactly. It was a bonus right. check because I got to listen to them and I got to grow and I got to know them more and it's it's the beauty of our profession and uh, you're going to be getting a lot of those bonus checks well I'll take them all yeah <laughs> I can all. definitely tell you know um, man we could go on for a long time um, we're almost at an hour oh I told you it goes you. by really fast uh, I'm going to ask you one final question sure. and then and then we'll wrap this up but 
Actually, I'm going to ask you two. Okay. okay. The first one is this. What do you do individually to grow? Is there something you do to grow as a person? Oh, man. Um, I'm going to refer back to your, your bonus checks conversation you just brought up. I think that's what helps me grow, um, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I think that, that fills my cup, uh, to go with that expression. Um, I think coaching does the same. Mm -hmm. um, but I try to surround myself with inspiring people as well. Um, and I think that's been extremely helpful. Um, over the last year, um, really trying to experience things mm -hmm. um, has been very helpful. Um, up until last year, really when COVID hit, um, I worked every day, all day long, because that's just what I knew. Mm -hmm. From the time I was in high school, going to school and working, going to college and working, and you know, then that was just what I saw from my parents, uh, as my dad worked two jobs for most of the time I was in school. Mm -hmm. um, and then that's just what I expected life to be. You mm -hmm. work, you know, um, and I enjoyed it. Um, I found joy in those moments. Um, but then, you know, COVID hit and we slowed down. And I think I needed that. So I feel that I'm one of the fortunate people that um, that was helpful. Hmm. Um, which I feel kind of guilty saying that out loud because I know it's been so hurtful to so many people and it's certainly an inconvenience um, but I think being forced to slow down and um, seek help um, in, in kind of the mental illness kind of realm and education in that regard and um, appreciating nature getting out and going on walks um, spending more time with my dog, you know, just, <laughs> yeah. um, and then my girlfriend right now, she loves being in nature. So mm -hmm. we go to different parks and we go walk and we can talk and be open, um, about a lot of things. And that to me has been the biggest opportunity for, for growth, I think, um, and trying to be more open, I think is a huge thing. There's mm -hmm. a lot of stereotypes that, um, I would have fallen into in terms of, you know, the, the toxic masculinity or not talking about certain things sure. because it's not deemed acceptable. Um, and so I think over the last two years, trying to break down some of those, those walls and talk about things sure. um, would be how I'm trying to grow. So not to open up a new can of worms that we could talk about for an hour, um, but I think those would be opportunities wow. to grow. Those are all, uh, as you're talking, I'm just like, I cannot wait for my students to listen to this. You know, mm -hmm. um, this is one that I'm going to require them to listen to. I do oh, that all the time awesome. because I'm just, yeah. uh, I'm just so amazed at, at who you are, Alan, uh, and the reflection, the introspection that's involved in that answer. Um, last question. Yeah. And I'll give you the context yes, behind. I'll come back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? It's like every time I'm in these conversations, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, we got to have part two. We got to have part two. Yeah. We got to part two. Um, this last question, this goes back about 10 years ago. I was uh, walking through Acme. I'll never forget. And I walked up and this young lady was the cashier. And I noticed, actually was, she wasn't the cashier. It was uh, the person in front of me. And I noticed that she had a tattoo on her arm. Mm -hmm. And I looked at her and I said, wow, that's a pretty amazing tattoo. And then she looked at me and she goes, it's not a tattoo. It's body art. And oh. never responded. I'm going to ask you about your body art. You've got, sure. it looks to me like you've got a couple tattoos. Why don't you share with our listeners, uh, you know, sure. your body art here? <laughs> well, first, I, I just go by tattoos. But, you know, um, that's just funny. Um, so the one that most people see is this one on my forearm. Um, so I went to Baldwin Wallace, so I've got a Baldwin Wallace mascot B. Um, on the inside of my arm with some honeycombs um, and then the number 13 on the back um, it was supposed to be Baldwin Wallace colors because I was number 13 um, it kind of looks more like Cavaliers color <laughs> um, but hey you know what um, over the summer when I get tan maybe it'll turn brown <laughs> I don't know is that a fairly new um, one then yeah so this is my most recent one I actually got this um, 
around Christmas time last year. Okay. Um, so I'll tell you, I was super nervous because I was teaching online at that point. Yeah. Um, I had to come in for state testing. I was like, what are these people going to think? What are the administrators going to say? What are they going to think? Um, and it's been an overwhelmingly accepting response. Yeah. And so I talked to Dylan Cedar, the art teacher, because he's got lots of body art as well. <laughs> um, and he's like, you know, they they love it, which made me feel very comfortable. And um, it is something that I've always kind of um, I've got four different tattoos, but you can only see one right yeah. now, and that's been the point. Yeah, uh, this is the first one that's been kind of out in the open. Um, I got my very first one um, the day after I turned eighteen. Um, <laughs> my grandpa passed away my junior year of high school, um, and I was only sixteen at that. Sixteen at that point, maybe seventeen. No, sixteen. Sorry, um, and. Uh, before he passed away, he gave me uh, a necklace. And so I'll show you because you're right here, but um, it's hmm. a necklace. It's a cross with a cross necklace straight mm -hmm. around it. And it says, sacred in the eyes of the Lord is the death of the saints. Hmm. Uh, my grandpa was super involved with the church. Um, and then I'm pretty sure that's the symbol for the Apollo Peter. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. So I got that That's the day after cool. I turned yeah. 18. Um, my mom actually went with me. Um, you know, I'm, not, I'm sure the tattoo artist um, was super thrilled <laughs> to have my mom in there while we were um, having the tattoo done. But she's got a couple tattoos of her own. Yeah. Um, so it was nice to have her. Uh, my sophomore year of college, I drew in this one. It's a, a lion, a tribal lion. Um, and there's a Chinese symbol for strength and courage. It also has my little brother's initials. There's an L there and a J. Okay. Um, but it kind Very of creative. In, I like that, yeah. Um, as to not have names. That's so cool. One of my mom's rules when I was getting tattoos was no names. Um, so I, we always joked about that. Um, and then I've got one on my side um, that it's a, a tree frog holding a soccer ball. Um, so that one uh, was just a few years ago. Um, kind of silly. I don't really show people that one, <laughs> uh, you know, the only people that see it are, you know, people I'm like going swimming with and things yeah. like that. And even then, that's awesome. Um, when they ask about it, I'm like, you don't make mistakes, you know, <laughs> uh, but it don't get me wrong. I love it. It's beautiful. Um, but it's just one of the, it's one of those kind of goofy ones. Yeah, that, it's too funny. Um, all of my other ones have significant meanings. Um, oh, this one, I was debating whether or not to bring it up, but the one on my forearm, I've got, uh, two bands on either side, um, and I was doing some reading. I found that a lot of people have those um, to represent depression. Okay. Um, and so that's something that I've been dealing with. Um, and so I thought it was a nice representation because, again, uh, an unknowing viewer of this body art <laughs> might not know that. They yeah. might just think it's part of the design, and, and that's okay. You know, I wanted something that looked nice, but also was meaningful. So. And, and you know what's amazing about that, and I, I think it typifies who you are as a person and the servant leader that you are, you put that on there and there will be no doubt a, a young man or a young woman that will be in your class who will know the meaning of that mm -hmm. and the what will help them, what could possibly save them is the fact that you mm -hmm. courageously put that on your arm to say, hey, I'm not ashamed to tell you that right. this is something I'm struggling right. with, I'm dealing with it, and I'm here for you. Right. And I, I find that to be extremely admirable. Right. Alan, I want to thank you for uh, this hour. It has gone by fast. I really could. I, I, I've got all these questions going through my head. Um, but first and foremost, I want to thank you for being courageous enough to tell us your story. Oh, cool. um, you're putting this out there, and we have a lot of listeners. And it is an honor for me to be able to share who you are as the amazing human being with so many people. Uh, and by the way, I know we're exclusive to Talmadge, but I have listeners in uh, in all over the world. Oh, yeah, I mean, know. there's a couple in Ireland, which oh, makes me really right. excited when I see all this. Yeah, so your sure. story, they're going to hear about how amazing you are. Um, but then I also want to thank you for just being courageous and vulnerable and, and sharing who you cool. truly are. Um, it is inspiring to me. 
And I know that as the parents of your students will listen to this, they're gonna know that both you and your co-teacher, um, you're just amazing people and you're changing lives. So, well, thank hey, you very much. thank you for being a guest. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed our interview today. Be sure to subscribe on whatever podcasting platform you are listening on. And also feel free to follow me on Instagram at, at Mr. Horner, the teacher, or on Twitter at THS Mr. Underscore Horner for podcast updates, blog updates, and more information about our guests. If you liked what you heard, I would appreciate if you give us a review and share the episode. Help me get the message out about how incredible our community is and how awesome our teachers are. If you haven't, make sure you go back and listen to past interviews. There are a lot of amazing people that we've had the privilege of interviewing. Until next time, go Blue Devils.